This video is made possible by Practical Defense Systems, the best online security training at the lowest prices. You can start your security career today online at pdsclasses.com. Check them out. The opinions expressed by the gun guy are always right, unless they're wrong. Thank you very much for watching Gun Guy TV. I am super duper grateful. I am Joel Persinger, the gun guy. This is the Gun Guy TV Firearms Podcast. We're going to talk about some interesting stuff today. More, you know, late, lately we've been talking a lot about just fun stuff. Today we're going to talk more about current events just because I think we should. And after all, it is my podcast and so there. But we have the usual uh, Hollywood Squares. Before we get to them, let me remind you that this podcast is generally about an hour long. We don't get weird about it. It's right around an hour long. First half an hour you can find on your favorite podcast player and also on Rumble twitter and now on youtube believe it or not that is if they don't delete it which sometimes they do so i would check twitter and rumble if you want to watch the video version the audio version is available on just about every podcast player everywhere and if you want to see the entire one hour you can find that on gun guy tv crew either on patreon or locals and uh, you can just go to gun if you'd like to support the podcast. All right. In our little group here today, we have Pete E. We're calling him Peter Gunn just because it's cool. We have Rick Travis from the California Rifle and Pistol Association and the incomparable and amazing and always charming Sam Paredes from Gun Owners of California. One of my favorite people there. These guys are all among my favorite people. Isn't that weird? That must be why well, we are his, We are yeah. his favorite people. We're just among them. You're just among we, them. We, we, <laughs> yeah, we just hang out among them. We're, we're not his favorite people. We just we just hang out among them. We're among You're his just among people. them. All right. So the topic today is uh, what do you have in your home terrorist repellent kit? <laughs> Be a little fun with it, given what's going on in uh, in Israel right now, which is horrific. But we're not going to get into the horrific aspects of that. But there were several things I, I thought were interesting about it. Before we get into that, I did send you guys the topics. I do want to show you some things. So I'm going to share my screen here. Can you see the Mini 14? Yes. All right. So I've been sharing these lately because I want to encourage terrorists to understand that even in California, Californians are armed. This is the California Legal Terrorist Extermination Kit for the occasions when pesky terrorists start wandering through the neighborhood. If you don't like that one and you're more of a traditionalist, this is the American Classic Terrorist Repellent Kit, best used with the battle cry, get off my lawn. <laughs> and if you... If you don't like that one, <laughs> here's another California legal terrorist ticket punch kit. No waiting in line, no delay. Come to America, you terrorist, and get your ticket punched today. And if you don't like that one, then there is the All-American Highway to Hell Instant Transportation Kit. Useful when nosy terrorists stumble into the wrong house. This kit will instantly transport any terrorist to his final destination. There you go. That's all I have for today. Thank you very much. Round of applause. That See you later. I'm out of here. Been, what was that? One, the last one should have been called the Biden approved kit because it had the shotgun to warn the terrorists before you drew the pistol. Well, that's true. And by the way, in case you, I just realized in case you're listening and you weren't able to see that, the first one, which was the California Legal Terrorist ex ex Extermination Kit, was a mini 14. 
and a Springfield XD-40, I think. The second one, the American Classic Terrorist Repellent Kit, was an M1 Grand with a 1911 45 Auto. The California Legal Terrorist Punch, Terrorist Ticket Punch Kit was a Sega, 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 however they say that, rifle in 7.2 uh, by 39. And uh, and I forgot the handgun was with it. Uh, Smith & Wesson M&P, I think. And the last one, the Highway to Hell Instant Transportation Kits, the one that Rick was talking about, that had a Mossberg 512 gauge and a Smith & Wesson Model 66 357 Magnum. So there you go. I have others, but I figured, nah, we'll just <laughs> we'll just go with that. And if you really want to know the best kit, you just need only look at Rick's background because he has every terrorist extermination kit on the wall. So I guess that's the first thing. Do you think Californians are armed or should terrorists take for granted that Californians have no guns at all? I think there's a lot of Californians that are armed, and I think that's that's a good thing that they're armed. But I also think it's it's something that just because you're armed doesn't mean you're prepared to do something. Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Speaking of which, okay, so there's a couple of things that I noticed in the initial coverage of the uh, start of the, the war down there. And I, I sent them to you, but here they are, so we can discuss them. Uh, the first thing I noticed is that the Israeli, Israeli intelligence, I'm not picking on the Israelis, but it's just obvious that their intelligence apparatus was either, well, it either sucks or they knew it was coming and didn't say anything, one of the two. I, I suspect that it just sucked. But regardless, Israeli intelligence failed the people in the country, and the American intelligence didn't help. I thought, personally, I was under the impression that Israeli citizens were armed. I've been told that. I've heard that like that. But apparently they weren't, most of them. They had to keep their guns in some sort of repository, and then it was they were doled out to them when they needed them. And so you had all these unarmed folks at home. Some were armed, but, but most, it seemed, were not. Then it seems that um, just about everybody, I didn't know this, but about everybody is either in the the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, or they were, and or their reserve. So I didn't realize that I guess it, you have to serve men, women. I think that's kind of neat, actually. Uh, I know I'm going to get all kinds of hate mail about that. Some small town citizens defended themselves and their town. They call them a kibbutz. I didn't know that that term. Uh, that was kind of interesting. And then others did not. And uh, they didn't really have any defense of the town. The town just got obliterated pretty much. And I don't know what caused one to be more organized than the other. But in any case, if, as I thought through that, I started asking myself, how does the how does this compare with United with the United States. What are your thoughts? I'm going to jump in on this one because um, I thought a lot about it when you sent the questions out to us. You know, when you talked about the Israeli intelligence apparatus, I'm not so sure that I agree that it was complicit or it sucks. I think people don't listen. I mean, inherently, if you were to look here at the United States, keep it focused to California, you know, one of the things that we saw Hamas and Hezbollah do was the tunneling. We have tunnels. They have went through, you know, the border down in San Diego that nobody in San Diego really knew what was going on. They didn't hear it. So that's similar. But yet, even when, you know, we as Californians found out, Sam and I didn't see one, not one piece of legislation from our legislature saying, oh, we need to stop the tunneling underneath the border. 
There was nothing like, hey, we need to put more security down there. There was nothing from the media like, holy crap, people are sneaking into the country by tunneling underground. They can't possibly be doing that for legal reasons. Like there was none of that. And so, you know, if all of a sudden, because we know from our, our own intelligence and our own people and even our weak media, that there have literally been not hundreds, but thousands of terrorists that have been able to get into this country through our poorest borders in the South from multiple countries that come with training, education, et cetera, experience. You know, if this happens here in the United States, which I'm sure some form of some terrorist activity will most likely happen during our lifetimes. No one has the excuse in my book to sit there and say, well, everybody failed us. We didn't know it was coming. No, there's been plenty of warnings, but we tend to operate more like um, I said to Pete yesterday, the French. And, you know, here comes the Germans. And what did the French do the night before Germans arrived in inside Paris? They partied. They literally drank wine, ate cheese and danced the night away because they just didn't believe it was going to happen to them. And I think that's the biggest danger in this country is that despite all the things that have happened in the last 25 years, there's still this attitude that it never happened here. One of the biggest differences between what happened there and here, uh, I watched the I watched the uh, press conference with Mossad, and there the head of Mossad said, uh, we made a mistake. We should have seen this. We ignored some things. It's our fault. Uh, I'm in charge. Therefore, it's my fault. And you don't see that. You don't. You don't. <laughs> when was the last time you saw somebody in the administration go, oh, yeah, it's my fault. It's not the previous administration. It's it's not the guy that was in charge for four years. It was the guy that was in charge for four years, not the guy that's been in 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 public service for almost 50. No, it's not the 50 years of service. It's the four-year of service guy. You don't, you don't see that. We, they take it seriously, and and they stand up and they say, and they, and they talked about all the things that, that happened. And as far as the tunnels go, uh, if you look at the Hamas wall, they, they had tunnels. Uh, not the Hamas wall, the, the Gaza Strip wall. They had tunnels before. And the Israelis went, well, there's got to be a way around that. So now their their walls go down. I forget. I saw it on one of the shows. The walls go down dozens of feet into the earth. It's almost impossible. And they have listening devices. So if somebody tries to tunnel under the, the, the 12, 15, 20 feet of concrete underneath, they can hear them, uh, which is why they didn't try and tunnel through this time. They just... Uh, Disabled a bunch of towers, got everybody blind, and came over in hang gliders. You know, it's funny how history re repeats itself. During the Yom Kippur War, many, many years ago, um, it, it was again a, a analyzed as a failure of intelligence to be able to to see or to accept the fact that something like this was happening. And if you look at Israel, and I'm I am a um, in awe of what those people, the Israelis do and how they do it and how they survive. Um, but you have to understand that it was a country that was prospering. Um, they were on the verge of major peace accords with, with uh, uh, some of their Arab neighbors, uh, the more moderate ones. 
Um, and they were kind of lulled into a sense of security and promise and hope and peace. Uh, and then they were rudely awakened by those who would not allow that to happen uh, and and were were brutally butchered in their own homes um and there is absolutely no human justification for what was done there none there is nothing you can come up with that would justify what uh, uh, the opponents of, of Israel, Hamas, and and others uh, did to the Israeli population, I'm I'm absolutely horrified, and completely understand the the Israeli response, and it's going to be uh, huge, uh, it's going to be intense, and it's going to be memorable. So uh, yeah, I you know I think we all have that fall into that trap of of feeling secure. Hey, things are going well. You know, I everything's fine. Our friends, our neighbors, everybody's playing nice and talking nice and and uh you know, we we see a future for our kids and and and, and our businesses and and um everything's okay. And then all of a sudden somebody comes running up behind you and hits you in the back of the head with a 2 by 4 studded with nails. You know, it's um, it's a lesson for all of us that uh, we must be vigilant at all times under all circumstances and to remember that what Israel is realizing right now, we are our own first line of defense. Amen. Bringing us back to you know Californians um, and looking at what goes on in this state. 30 years of me working as a first responder, I was always amazed at how many people would look and go holy cow we had an earthquake and i wasn't prepared why didn't somebody tell me it was coming and i always wanted to like scream i'm like how did you not know like we live on ground that shakes every day we have earthquake quick kits everywhere and yet if you go to the average person's house they have nothing or if they do have something they haven't looked at it in well over a decade to know if anything's in there and so that's where like, I'm not arguing with you guys about, you know, issues with Israeli intelligence, but there's also the general intelligence of the populace. And, you know, there are very few, in my opinion, surprises in life. There's just you neglecting to pay attention. And Which brings us to the next question, I think, and that is how would citizens of the United States have fared if something like that happened here? Would we have fared better, same, worse? What do you thought? Worse. <laughs> well, I, I, Rick, I'll just, I'll just throw this in for you. Statistically, 49% when it comes to intelligence, 49% of the population is below average. Yep. <laughs> but I'm bummed. <laughs> what, uh, what can we learn from this as Americans? I mean, I think we've touched upon some things we can learn from. Well, first of all, some things we can learn from the intelligence failure that they had in Israel. I think one is that we can fully expect that our intelligence apparatus will fail too. And I don't say that as a criticism of them. I say it because they're human beings and because nobody gets it right all the time. So uh, to your point, Rick, we can't sit back and and hope that our government is going to always get it right, that they're always going to protect us from everything, even in the best of circumstances. 
even if we give them all the credit in the world for, you know, and we say, well, gee, they're, they're working hard. They're trying hard. They're going to do the best they can. Uh, they're still going to blow it and bad people are going to do bad things. And so uh, we are, as you said, then, or somebody said, I think it was you, uh, said we are our own first responders. And if we're not prepared, then we'll suffer the consequences. Yeah. That was and, Sam that said that. And I agree with Sam on it. Well and done, Sam. I think one of the issues that I don't think anybody likes to to look at, and LAPD used to be famous for having the, the slogan to protect and to serve, but you know, as a former medic, I will tell you right now, Orange County has a little over 1.3 million people in it. There were like maybe 1,400 medics, and that included EMTs all the way through paramedics. There is no way if a major disaster impacting the entire population and we saw that during the pandemic. There's just not enough people. And so that's why the individual citizen has to take in. They've got to be able to take care of themselves and their family because there's there really isn't enough people. I mean, that is the band-aid that makes it from day to day. But when we hit a critical issue like what we're talking about today, that band-aid is not capable of handling everything. You know, And that's why anybody that's a first responder knows the first thing that they're going to be told to do is not come help you because you got hurt or you're bleeding or you got shot. It's to circle the critical infrastructure and try to make sure that survives whatever you're going through. And so I look at people all the time and say, you've got to be able to do that. And one of these, to your point is, Joel, there are people like I know I've been up in Sam's neck of the woods and Sam's got a, a uniquely great situation. I'm, I'm envious of it. But if you look at somebody like me that lives in a typical track of homes, I mean, I have networked with about five neighbors that we have talked what we would do if something really bad happened. But beyond that, I don't have a clue of what all the other people are going to do, where they're going to go, how they're going to react, where they're out on anything. And I think that's the difference between if you're in a closed kibitz that has got their act together, like we've seen a couple of in the Israeli Hamas situation, yeah, you're going to fare pretty well, but I think a lot of the kibitzes that weren't prepared are more um, emblematic of what you would see throughout California, especially in the urban areas. I, yeah, I think that, I think that in oh sorry, December seventh, nineteen forty one, we saw on radar the Japanese uh, attack coming, and we we didn't believe it. We said, no, no, that's a set of training flights. That's this, that's this. We talked our, talked ourselves out of reacting. Um, 2000, uh, September 11th, there were, there were signs. Uh, we didn't do anything. Uh, I can tell you, having worked in aviation, that, that um, airport security at the time was considered a joke. Um, it was it was never that serious um, to begin with, and it and it bit us um, over and over and over. The public has relied on the government to do everything for them, and you can't do that. Like Sam said, you are your own first responder. No but way. people want to pay more taxes and give more money to the government and expect them to protect and serve. And that's like saying that the that the ambulance driver is going to be there 
to make sure you uh, you eat a good meal and eat healthy and get your exercise in. They're there for after the disaster has happened. They're there for after you've already been hurt or you've already had a heart attack or a stroke or whatever the problem is. They're not there to prevent it from happening. And the same thing with, with the police department. Uh, they're not there to prevent somebody from breaking into your house. They try, they do patrols, they do stuff like that. But their main job is after the fact. Mm-hmm. And you have to look at that. You have to, to to look at that in the whole, whether it's little things like some guy wanting to spray tag somebody's garage door all the way to uh, home invasions. Um, you know, you and, and I can hear I can hear guys right now. No doubt there is there is out there right now. Tactical Tim who is uh who who wants to have his own YouTube channel and he's got his AR and his and his body armor and he's saying boy I just wish somebody would try and come in my door and and if something like that were to happen to good old tactical Tim Joel's one of Joel's friends um he would uh <laughs> he would come in the door and they would come in the door he would start trying to empty his uh empty his AR and the uh, as soon as uh, as soon as he had a jam or he had to switch mags, uh, he would have a simultaneous vacation of both bowel and bladder, and uh, and that would be it. That would be the end, and he would panic. And uh, you can't go to the range and practice that. You can't. You can't. Uh, you can't even go to uh, a three gun event and practice that. It's only under high stress that you can actually seriously get ready for something like that. And we don't do that kind of training. So um, the majority of the people are going to uh, have problems when uh, when that happens. Fortunately, uh, in my neighborhood, uh, we have uh, we have a bunch of guys who are firm believers in the Second Amendment that uh, all have. Uh, we call it the club. Everybody, everybody uh, in our neighborhood that's a member of the club has their own little card from the Orange County Sheriff's Department. We all know what that little card says on it. And uh, we get together three, four times a year, play poker, and uh, and we talk about the neighborhood. Or if something's happening, we'll start texting each other. And we'll talk about, you know, who's, you know, you live here. You can see this part of the, th- this way of getting into our neighborhood. You take care of that area. I can see uh, this, this entrance. I'll, I'll get, I'll take care of this part of the neighborhood. You can see that one. And, and we, we, we talk about it. I think a lot of neighborhoods are like Rick's and like mine. And you mentioned tactical Tim, tactical Tom, whatever. And that may not be necessarily some young man who's been playing too many video games. It may be an old guy like me who is, you know, has some experience in life and has acquired what he needs to be ready to go. And in his home and in his family, he is or she is prepared but the neighbors are not. And the problem then becomes, the, you know, the, the old saying that no, no, no man is an island. I mean, you, you can't defend a neighborhood by yourself. And honestly, in any kind of situation where multiple people, like we're going through these small towns in Israel, are walking through killing people, you may not be able to defend your household on your own. You might. And yet, if you were in my neighborhood, for example, to go talk to the neighborhood, the neighbors individually, 
Some of them, when you brought up the subject, would not want to have the conversation at all. Some of them would look at you like you have 10 heads and think that you're a nut. Some of them would have the conversation as long as it was theoretical and it was the type of conversation you might talk about this as you're standing around a barbecue, drinking a beer, waiting for your steak to get done grilling. But very, very, very darn few are going to have a serious conversation about it, put together any kind of a plan or anything else, because it remains over there. And it remains out of sight and out of mind, I think, for most folks. Or, I mean, if I'm reading our American society differently, you know, or incorrectly or something, let me know. But I can say that in suburbia, at least, that what I think I've just described, I think probably fits most most people's neighborhoods. Well, I tend to agree uh, to, to the great extent. You know, it, it depends on where... Um, it depends on, on where you are in America. I would postulate that in, in the more rural parts of America, including here in California, where people have had to uh, rely on themselves for so many things, that they are also relying on themselves to be able to protect themselves by, by necessity because of the rural nature. I think that's less so in, in, in suburbia, where people feel safe um, and, and people aren't thinking uh, about dangerous things that could happen in, the, in their communities. Um, and, and then in cities, those that are thinking about it are thinking about protecting themselves from local crime, not some invasion or something like that. And even they are not thinking about community protection and things like that. So th the scary thing about that is that it kind of lays out a roadmap on where somebody who wants to commit an act of terror could go and fight, face the least resistance. I tell you what, if they came and did that in my neighborhood, they're the, they better be wearing something that is very resistant to copper and lead because there would be a significant response from, from all corners. Um, and, and that it kind of leads us to, to think about it. You know, maybe we should have these conversations like, like, Pete was saying, uh, and, and, and Rick was saying with our neighbors and, and maybe start out saying, Hey, what would we do if there was a, you know, a, a fire in our, in our community with a lot of wind and, and people's homes started to, how would we respond and help each other? What would we do if there was an earthquake? How would we as a community work to take care of each other and, and respond? Um, how would we, what would we do if there was some other, natural disaster that came in what would we do if there was an act of terror in our community and and somebody was coming in and killing people how would we respond to that and maybe get them into the thought process of we are a community and we need to work together to think about all kinds of things and and kind of opening their their thought process into thinking that hey you know as a matter of fact, the reason I left the screen a minute ago is because the USGS uh, a, a few minutes ago put out an alert to all of the cell phones up here where I live with an earthquake alert, imminent earthquake alert. Um, I went out to check, make sure my staff was was ready to respond. And if something happens, we, we've got a plan. 
Um, but it, what well, Joe, what you said, no man is an island. You can't take care of yourself. You're not Hercules. You're not the Hulk. You're not uh, uh, Samson. You you cannot fend off hordes and stuff. We have to do these things as a community. And we used to have the reputation of doing that. And there's been a lot of controversy whether Admiral Yamamoto actually said that we will never invade the West Coast of the United States because behind every blade of grass would be an American with his gun. Dot, 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 to kill us. Um, but the fact of the matter is that used to be the ethos of, of America. And we, as responsible gun owners, um, need to do what we can to, again, arm and inform our neighbors and our communities and, and, and the populace at large by speaking about this, exactly what we're doing in this podcast, exactly what you do on your show every single time you air a, a, a show or an additional podcast uh, through our organizations, letting people know, hey, you need to be prepared. Your own, your own first line of defense. If you need resources on where to get information, that's all you know, we can provide that. And yes, training is super important in order to improve our chances of surviving some sort of a devastating situation. But I'll tell you what, um, uh, I think we are better off having a bunch of people who don't have a whole lot of experience with their guns, who out of instinct would just happen to do the right thing. And the reason I say that is because we have between four and 500 million guns in America today. And, you know, we can, we know that not everybody's getting training, but we don't see uh, thousands or even hundreds or even dozens of, of misused firearms uh, in, in an act of self-defense or something like that. Yes, we see accidents. Uh, typically they're an act of negligence. But that tells me that Americans are actually thinking about this and doing the proper things to make sure that they are safe. And 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 we don't see what they do in private. You know, a lot of people don't even want you to know that they have a gun. They don't want you to know that they go across to the next neighborhood to go to the gun range over there to practice with a gun, and then they bring it back home and, and are prepared. So um, big warning to those who would do us harm. You think you're seeing resistance in Israel? You got another thing coming if you come to America and do that. I am very confident about that, and I have a lot of faith in our in our people. So, yeah, one of the big differences I think, Sam, and that I saw, and we'll talk more about that when we come back, uh, is that they Israel had taken the civilian guns and put them in a common place and stored them. And so a lot of the folks in these small towns, these kibbutzes, I guess is what they call them, were unarmed. And so that brings us back. We talked to, you know, we mentioned training and some other things. I'm, I'm of the opinion that, um, well, a couple of things, first of all, people, good people rise to the occasion, but the problem is they can only rise to their level of training. They can't rise above that. Um, I think the other thing is that, that you know, a, a whole group of individuals, is not a team. And if you've ever played organized sports, like organized basketball, and then you go play street ball, you can definitely see that if you brought in a team, all those street ballers would lose miserably. They might be super talented, but they don't function as a team. And I think the same happens with American citizens. 
when they go to the range and they practice and so on, that does not mean that they have a team. So I think that's something we can talk about here when we come back. That preparatory clause in the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state has a deep meaning about what we're talking about now. But we have run out of time for the first half of the podcast, which is free to you. The second half is available to Gun Guy TV crew members only. If you'd like to check that out, then go join Gun Guy TV crew. You can do that by going to gunguytvcrew.com. Or if you like, you can go to Patreon or Locals. And with any luck, Gun Guy TV crew will also be available on X, formerly Twitter, here in the next few weeks. We'll see how that goes. But in the meantime, we're going to make the swap and jump over to Gun Guy TV crew. If you're with us, we'll see you over there. If not, we urge you to sign up. We'll give you a couple of minutes. Go. You've been listening to the Gun Guy TV podcast. 